0: Welcome to Dragonian, your podcast for news and updates in Hong Kong and Taiwan. I'm your host, William. Hi everyone, welcome to the episode 16 of the Dragonian podcast. This is your host, William. This week's episode will be about how confusion have shaped this week's events in Hong Kong and Taiwan. From anti-competitive practices in Hong Kong to a quite chaotic development of the longest staying story within this podcast here now, Taiwan's election, this region is riddled with interesting stories and confusing decisions. If you would like to learn more about Hong Kong and Taiwan, please subscribe to the podcast. We will deliver new stories and very interesting events that happened last week to your Favorite Podcast App, every Tuesday. Subscribe now! So now, back to events that happened in Hong Kong first. In this part of the episode, or in Hong Kong's part, we will be discussing very confusing events that happened in Hong Kong last week, from anti-competitive practices, to a prosecution, or a persecution, to... The government's response to the District Council election it seems that this it seems that Hong Kong is quite confusing for everyone to understand what happened. So first is about anti competitive practices in the housing market in Hong Kong. Major leading housing agencies were prosecuted by the Competition Commission in Hong Kong. For anti competitive practices, where they request at least 2% of their commission for all new flats sold through them. In Hong Kong, most housing agencies will offer remuneration to customers when they purchase new flats through these various different housing agencies. These practices will help so called to stabilize the market. As technically, in in as a contract it was written in a high amount. However, this practice has also harmed the housing agent industry, where the profits of these realty agencies were very uh, were deeply harmed, as they would need to use at least half of their income to just to pay to customers. To use them, as a result, various housing agencies have, rec- have recorded losses during the pandemic years. As a result, there were discussions about setting up a in an industry baseline for commissions. Midland Realty, the Hong Kong Housing Services Agency, Centreline, and Ricker got into an agreement last year for charging at least to request at least 2% real commission for all new flats sold through them as for them to deal with the issue of dwindling profits. However, this was considered an anti-competitive practice by a lot of people, and this new story where all of these Realty agencies ha- announced the same announced the same policy. Um the, the the Competition Commission opened a file to investigate if there are any wrongdoings for these practices. In the investigation process, Centerline and Recorcop, two of the major housing leading housing agencies, cooperated with Competition Commission to provide details about their wrongdoings and reach an exemption agreement for in exchange for the cooperate collaboration they were being exempt from being the case being brought to court. This is actually a very confusing story. It is a very confusing thing for the general public to know if the, charging com- uh, if the competition commission will charge people or not charge people not only because if they have done any anti-competitive practices, but also if they are willing to be a whistleblower to review this case. Being an early whistleblower got an unintended practice to keep any profits that they gained from these anti-competitive practices. It is also very confusing that Senterline and Ricocom got a complete exemption from paying the cost or fines f- for doing anti-competitive practices just because they report to the authorities first. In fact, they've already kept the profit or extra money that they earn through these anti-competitive processes. However, no fines were brought against them just because they cooperated. Normally, in these cases, they would need to at least pay a fine, similar or equivalent to the amount of money or amount of extra money they got through these anti-competitive practices. It seems that this is not the case for the Hong Kong people or, 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 or for the Hong Kong's housing industry. It is actually quite confusing as a result. Just before ending this story, this is a question for you to bring to uh bring for your own thoughts. Are there any possible solutions to attract people to whistleblow while not harming the idea of the idea of this any competitive thing? As in the current state, basically, people are encouraged to both Carry out these anti-competitive practices, and report as a whistleblower. This probably needs some discussion, I would say. Next, the next story is about prosecution on the Seven Twenty One Yunlong attacks against Lam Chak Ting and others. So after the landmark. 721 Yunlong attacks case or a rioting case brought against white-clad protesters. A case was brought against Lam Cha Ting, a then a then Legislative Council member for allegedly rioting in Yunlong Station. So Lamb is charged with others with rioting with very dubious rationale. And this problematic thing actually further worsened when people really got into the story and got into the discussion. The hearing have been riddled with various irregularities from this thought. For example, prosecutor invited eyewitnesses were identified as a supporter for the white clad and at the same time appeared in New Law Station at the time with the white clad rioters when being asked or when being when, when being asked by defenders the judge told the eyewitness not to answer the questions presented by the defendants just because that may constitute a prosecution against you For participation in rioting, possibly a reference to the White Clad cases, where they basically self-identify themselves participating in a riot. Furthermore, other witnesses have also revealed very dubious police preparation of the events. For example, an an active anti-riot squad was present nearby in Yunlong but did not respond to events that happened within the station. Where basically basically police only appeared after so called thirty nine minutes after the first call for for help. Furthermore, plainclothes police officers were also actually present in the station At the whole time from 6pm at the 721 attacks where the attack only started at 10. However, they did not respond to the white clad attacks, while the station manager also had no opportunity or had no real method for them to escalate the issue through internal channels so as to deal with the so-called escalation by right-clad protesters or here black cap, black-clad protesters, where there are actually none, where basically everyone's eyes were in Yunlong or uh, were in Shenzhen, not Yunlong at that time, for its for for the for the China government's office in Hong Kong. For, for for protests and riots or all these so called riots in Shawan in, in at that location. So, it brought a lot of questions brought into discussion. First, why didn't police not deploy nearby forces that are already on standby and they have and having enough gear at the same time? I don't have any concrete answers on that, but Various eyewitnesses, when being asked by the defendants, have basically proven that there are extra riot anti-riot squad members on standby. While basically clapping hands with the white-clad people in in some films or in some cases. That's a question. The second very confusing thing is Why will the judge tell eyewitnesses not to answer questions just because they are charged or or the answers could lead them to being charged in another case? Are they a victim or are these eyewitnesses a victim of these events? Or they are just people who got lucky because they support the government so they won't get charged for any rioting cases that they do for for supporting the government. For the general public, the question is more complex. Why Lamb is charged in the first case? This had been a very interesting question. Basically Lamb had been in contact with police for all for for all everything that happened in and after the 721 attacks. Lamb was physically injured and basically there are no there are no evidence or no direct evidence showing that he was in a right scene apart from him being an apparent victim and his futile um, as his futile tries or his futile attempts to stabilize the situation there are just none question that brought to the audience or brought to you is where is justice in Hong Kong? We have heard quite a lot of cases, court cases in Hong Kong last week that were reported in the various previous episodes about how Hong Kong's judiciary are currently working. Possibly. That's why so many people have left Hong Kong. But I have no concrete answer on that. And that may be an answer. That may be a question for another day. The final part of the of of Hong Kong's of of this Hong Kong part of this episode is about government's push to boost ter- voter turnout rate. After twenty twenty, voter turnout have basically dropped to. Um, dropped to thirty percent, twenty-five percent and dropping even lower by any election that involved the public to vote. As the Hong Kong government removed a large portion of the de- democratic elements within the district council and the legislative council. Where for a le- uh, where for the former, um which they're having an election this um in in December were technically considered a near-full democracy as there are near zero limits on both who can got into the seats, on how these seats are elected, and the method for counting votes or where basically it's a technical universal suffrage. However, after the so-called District Council election reform, basically all these democratic elements got strung to a very tiny bit. This actually in fact turned down the will of the people to vote in the elections. For example, in 2021, the voter turnout actually dropped 15-17% to when compared to the District Council elections in 2019 where traditionally it would would be much lower than those in the, the uh, and those in the um than those in the so-called legislative council elections so to to boost the voter turnout the government pushes various plans including some that were technically unconstitutional for example have opened border voting stations to let people vote, while normally, or in legal sense, people can only vote in their assigned voting stations. Furthermore, various pro-establishment organizations, in collaboration with um, various parties, also used lucky draws various um various shorts videos etc to boost voter or uh, to boost voter turnout rates by just telling people to vote to so-called build a better community the government also stepped up attempts to encourage people to vote by encouraging public servants or civil servants to record videos encouraging people to vote and normally while normally this was only done by by the home affairs office this was actually done by basically by the home affairs department this is actually done across departments just with one message go out and vote on that particular day or, or tenth of December. However, the Hong Kong government also said that they had no targets on voting turn or on voter turnout. In fact, they had already brought out rationales for low voter turnout, where they consider the idea of not voting as a confident vote for the government's work. So you can see how the government is so interesting where they technically tell people to get out and vote while at the same time saying that we don't have any targets. Possibly quite interesting. Normally, turnout rate was was an indication on how People consider, or how much the people support the current system, and so and and reinterpreting low turnout rates as a confidence to the government is the most interesting and confusing thing for people to think of. Furthermore, this also directly contradicts to attempts by the government to push people out to vote. And also, they possibly it is also a possibility for them to just to cover up the real reason for why people don't vote. because Hong Kong, or never a democracy, now is just an authoritarian regime, where basically everything, were just not democratically elected or so-called filtered out. As basically all these reforms just stating that reducing the democratic elements while adding up political security by adding various filters. And in this case was the filter on who can nominate and basically possibly or, or, or just a possible solution or just a possible explanation is that they have intentionally omitted the possibility that people don't go out and vote because they are utterly disappointed with the new patriot-centric system where people just cannot voice out freely. The end question for this news or this topic or, or, or this event is Do the Hong Kong government hear the people sing? So this is all about top stories and top confusing events that happened in Hong Kong last week. There are also other events that happened within the city. Some are less confusing. But because of time constraints, um, this is all about, or uh, these are the top stories that happened in Hong Kong last week. So now, back to the part about Taiwan. In this part of the episode, we will be discussing very confusing political developments in the island while also highlighting so-called shining a light after years of confusion in attempts to boost in various attempts to boost the island's defence industry. First off, this will be about the presidential elections in twenty twenty four. Last week's developments were huge, while at the same time very confusing the opposition's integration plan fell apart the pan greens the currently ruling government got got their um got their running peer while at the same time there are also very interesting updates on independent candidates so quick update on the in- integration of the opposition or not quick i would say the two largest opposition parties, the Chinese Kuomintang and the Taiwan People's Party, reached an agreement last week in Wednesday or Thursday on how to integrate to form a common ticket. TPP's presidential candidates decided to give a green light for the integration poll while at the same time just to let home win if there are any statistical errors or or if the difference in support are just not that significant in statistics. So they did an opinion poll on integration each side uh, plus um, former president's foundation, Ma ying Foundation. So they will choose one first, they will choose one expert on the carry out these polls for each side and then they will choose three companies uh with uh basically they will choose over nine polls that took place on um the eleventh of November till seventeenth of November, where there will be nine sets of polls in total. After that they will do a calculation on basically the support, or the net support and etc. And and winner for each poll gets one point. And if there are no apparent winner, for example, um the support the difference in support in different tickets fell within statistical um, range then whole will get a point then the person with a higher point will just lead for the joint presidential bid while the loser will be running as the running mate for the vice presidency there are also there are also some discussions about how various um um how, how the government or the joint gov- uh, joint, le- joint, elected government worked, including um, roles and responsibilities, etc. However, after the results got out, uh, because of the discussions, um, three polls were excluded from this whole discussion, and then within the sixth example the idea of statistically important got into the spotlight with basically Cole saying that I assume that this error will be approximately 1.5 plus and minus which means that a 3% range while while Kuomintang uses the statistical um, range for approximately 2% that will be 4 to 6% for each poll, a bit different for each poll as a result the discussion basically fell apart, with Ko announcing that he will just go and represent the Taiwan People's Party and continue his election or his bid to the end, or in Chinese, di And after some updates this week, and in this week, Kuomintang's internal documents have revealed that Ho will present his vice president's running mate. Uh, in Wednesday and in tomorrow morning or uh, in t- tomorrow morning Taiwan time, as a signal that this whole thing is just falling apart. For the Pan Greens, William Lai has basically has there are already rumors or near confirmation for him to announce his running mate as Xiao Bikim or Xiao Meixin, the Taiwanese representative to the, the United States. Actually, this discussion happened since quite a long for quite a long time. As as um, Xiao was considered as the ideal candidate for maintaining the close partnership with uh between Taiwan and the United States. While at the same time, it also technically angers China as they consider uh Xiao as a, Taiwan,顽固分子 or. Basically, it means a diehard supporter of a Da supporter for Taiwanese independence. So yes, the Pan Green got quite interesting. They got a they finally got a vice president candidate, and they are also in this week's um, some just quick update. They are also the first set of candidates who run in a party ticket got registered. Yeah. And that is an independence candidate stories. This is way more interesting I would say. So Terry Go was confirmed as the only running independence candidate after counting um nominee votes. Terry Go actually got um eight 800 to 900, approximately 900,000 valid nomination votes or nomination tickets. And he is also named as the second highest nominated independent candidate since James Song, Song Chuyu's nomination at the presidential election in 2000. A bit fun news, I would say, after Terry is that there is also another set of independent candidates yielding more than the legally required 285,000 nomination forms or or valid nomination forms. They submitted over that amount of forms, but in fact only two were valid. Where are the others? They are basically photocopies of the two nomination forms. So yes, this is the reality of this whole thing. Uh, this very confusing set of candidates doing a very confusing thing for just literally no reason. So a bit leading candidates are in... A bit leading candidates for running for election for residency. So William Lai runs for the DPP while announcing Boko Xiao. or uh, 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 not Boko. Uh, really... B. Kim Xiao as Vice President, Ho Yo-Yi for the Chinese Kuomintang, Koenji for the Taiwan People's Party, and Terry Gou as an independent candidate. So it's actually very confusing, and this is just another episode on the confusing or the co- confusing politics of Taiwan. It's already the fifth or the sixth episode where we are talking about the integration of the opposition. First is Terry with Cohenja with um with the Chinese commentary. Then is the Chinese Commentary with the TBP and now every single plan fell apart. We start chasing this news, we start reporting on this, but this basically took quite a lot of time for us to repair and this was updates with just so many, I would say. As normally there will be a legislative UN update. while well, it will be next story I would say. And it is there are also confusion two things. The first thing is about integration. Are they integrating is the largest headline story that everyone is asking. It's just basically someone is just using a very common Taiwan scat uh, Taiwan sandals. Basically a white sandal, uh, sorry, a blue sandal with white stripes as a cover, to basically, um, I would say, make jokes on this whole thing. Furthermore, there are confusion on their actual goal and their stated goal. Both parties say that they run for removing the incumbent Democratic Progressive Party from power. However, everyone knows that running in the joint ticket means that basically the ruling party will just win. And the conversion here is that are they just planning for opposition, for just being in opposition? Because being in opposition actually in some cases in a democratic society means a better relative position than in power as they are technically they are just they won't be responsible for any policies or any failure of policies announced by the government. While the ruling parties, they get the power, they also get the responsibility, and also they also get the extra cost for them to rule the island or to rule the state, to bring the state forward, to push the state forward daily in some cases. It's confusion. It's convi- It's confusing. And the question to the audience is very simple. Just when will this whole cha- chaos end? No one knows when. And possibly we may need to discuss, or possibly we'll just need to get through this week to have the final answer, as the deadline for registre- registering um, presidential candidates ends this week. Thursday. or Friday uh, I'll just end this week the second update is singled out legislative UN's elections so parties are now starting to announce party lists after announcing their um after announcing candidates for various cons- cons- constituencies. So, the highlight or the spotlight of this news or of of these announcements are both Te, both the ruling party's list and the largest opposition party's list. So first, we'll discuss about the large about the opposition party's list. For Chinese Kuomintang's list, they consider themselves as best of the best list. Were actually riddled with influence from local factions and even recalled and rejected politicians. So in Taiwan's election uh, election law and election rules, basically both parties are guaranteed a set amount of seats so as to um, bring, in, their, in, in the original design case, bring technical people into the Legislative Yuan, or the Legislative Council, or, 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 or this... On this building, so as to improve, um, basically make voices from various people, be- from from the um from technical from technical people, from professionals, from elites, etc. From let their voice get into the legislative Yuan. However, um, in Korean tells list it gets very interesting. Han Koyo, also known as uh, better known as the presidential candidate for the twenty twenty uh, presidential elections, and being subsequently recalled as Kaohsiung City's mayor in twenty twenty one, due to his alleged um negligence on Kaohsiung after getting the, um the post as a mayor. Top Kuomintang's party list. In fact, he actually um the vote the recall votes that he got are actually quite higher than the votes that pushed him to be a mayor while when he as a mayor he only he got 890,000 votes while when being recalled he actually got 930,000 votes supporting this recall second in the party list is actually lost in last year's Kaohsiung mayoral election so with and at the same time, within a safe seat line for seats, approximately twelve seats. Um, basically, it included um connections with the Yunlin Chang Party, and uh, and also people who were not well known to the public apart from their identities as descendants, direct descendants of Kuomintang politicians. So this Kuomintang list is riddled or, or, or in some cases, being mocked by people outside of the Kuomintang as the party as the Punished Citizens List, or in in, in Chinese, 惩罚市民党, So commentary later, but now get back to the list. At the same time, the Democratic Progressive Party also announced their own list it although it did not spare a lot of confusion within the general public traditional Democratic Progressive Party supporters some said that they actually feel betrayed as doctors nurses and people in the medical industry felt betrayed as this party list did not place any medical workers or Medical worker turned politicians into the party's list safe seat list, or in this case, is approximately twelve people. There are, uh, for the oppositions, also some accusations that this list is an uneven seat split for the various factions that are that are within the um within the ruling Democratic Progressive Party. A second or the third, um, there are also some smaller um parties announcing their own set of candidates. However, it is notable that one of the larger, small parties, the Taiwan People's Party, led by Ko, did not announce a list until now. In fact, they just basically placed it possible. Um. The announcement was postponed and postponed for a possibility for them have being not decide having not decided to nominate a vice president for election or just nominate one. As a result, there are just no lists for the Taiwan People's Party announced. However, a well known former legislative UN member for the New Power Party, Huang Kuo Chang, KC Huang, quit his original party, New Power Party, where They also used um, party list candidates and constituency candidates and joined the Taiwan People's Party in support of a rotation or in the removal of the Democratic Progressive Party. So it's very confusing for both the Legislative UN and the Presidential Elections. For the Presidential Elections, the confusion is more about integration. But in a legislative UN, we are seeing defects. We are seeing a or are we just seeing a real life party that punishes punishes citizens? Literally pushing candidates with low overall support into safe seats just to punish them or just to secure their voter base? That's the question. Furthermore, it also seems that nomination for members for the Legislative Yuan may also be affected by the pres- uh, by the presidential election. There are discussions on the Legislative Yuan and all these discussions seem very interesting. And here, I would say Kuomintang's both Kuomintang and Taiwan People's Party and the Democratic Progressive Party are having basically a different identity or a very different vision for how Taiwan will grow, will become a power, a regional power in the next couple of tens of years. Furthermore, in the climate house list, a lot of people are labeled as so-called warlord against corruption or the best warlord against the the Democratic Progressive Party, etc. It's confusing as they are basically they hope to control the legislative UN to push out their own policies, etc. But this whole thing just failed. Or, or in this case, for the Chinese government, in town, they seem to be building their own party identity from hate instead of their ability to rule Taiwan. For the Taiwan People's Party, the reason, the the main reason for them, to, the founding of the party, is to end the blue-green split within Taiwan. However, they seem to have joined the blues just to topple greens. Interesting. Uh, Taiwan People's Party were considered as a centric party, but it seemed that in this case, they, they just are not centric at all, in the best case. So these are the two stories, or, or these are the main stories that happened in Taiwan. The second story is about, uh the, the last story is about the indigenous light frigate. So after the Indigenous sub- indigenous submarine Program, IDS, the light Indigenous Light Fire Program also kick-started. This is considered as another leaping stone for the building up of an Indigenous defense industry in Taiwan. In fact, the plans of having an Indigenous Light Fire being designed locally and produced locally started or the idea actually appeared as early as early 2000s however it's only after 20 years that this plan was realized as a concrete plan to 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 cater the growing threats from china it was postponed by various reasons while well, in well in 2000s there was actually a chinese Kuomintang Basically stopped any budgets for the um for this program. While in the two twenty tens, it was just basically a a warming China Taiwan relations, and just only now after the pandemic that they have time, have the effort, and have the ability and determination, and shining a spotlight on the confusing Taiwan's on on the very confused. Indigenous defense industry in Taiwan, and as a result, it seems that this is possibly a finally a tear moment for Taiwan's local defense industry. For connection with this with themes confusion, the question is very simple: Why did Taiwan take so much time just to initiate the process? when facing a neighbourhood fault so unified by all means, including through force? Furthermore, who are blocking the attempts for Taiwan to defend itself? And are these political parties actually working in the long-term interest of their voters, especially the Chinese coming I would say? Last piece of story is about the APEC summit. As this as this is is, is a story that actually spanned across Hong Kong and Taiwan, this is considered the last part of this whole um this whole episode. Updates from the APEC Summit So first, John Lee, although claimed to have been, been invited by the organizers, did not attend the summit while at the same time just heading out adding out to various events within Hong Kong, stating to justify him saying that he is very busy to attend local events. It's weird as basically people are technically, as basically these are not very important events when compared to a very large summit where he can actually meet presidency or, 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 or in this case um, the head of the Communist Party or head of the ruler of China Sea it seems very weird, I would say. For Taiwan, um, the discussion on, on this whole, uh, the APAC summit was actually represented by, by the founder of TSMC, as discussed in, in previous episode. And discussions are all about the economic co- cooperation within various, um, various member states or various member countries or constituencies of the APAC economic cooperatives. Furthermore, China and U.S. also came out and basically, um, after the APEC summit, and discussed regional events, or world events, for as an astonishing four hours. And here, it included very interesting things. First, it, they have discussed about Taiwan, Discuss U.S. data, they have discussed Hong Kong, They also discussed a war in Russia and the Gaza strike, and a lot, and and basically the US-China relations, uh, the defense in China, about a possible war in 2026 and 2027, and etc. Why not include Thai in this discussion? It's confusing, as Taiwan is basically one of the main stories, and Thai is technically... You know, she is technically free if, you're, he, if she is invited, but no, not in this case, I would say. So yeah, so this is the end, or this is these are all the stories, all the topics that that we will be covered in this episode. We hope you find this episode very informative. If you do, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single any single episode. If you have any feedback. Please let us know in the comments or drop us an email at william@dragonianpod.com. Thanks again for listening to episode 16 of the Dragonian podcast. We'll be back next week with more news from Hong Kong and Taiwan. Have a safe, prosperous, and happy week ahead. Goodbye.